Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. Now, this week's edition and this week's guest is a little bit of a character. Now, if John Daly of golfing fame were to loan his golf pants to someone for a shooting competition, it would be the guest this week. So with that, everyone join me in welcoming Mr. McLean, John McLean. Welcome, John. How you doing? <laughs> oh, hold on. Oh, there we are. There we are. Now we can hey. talk. Hey. hey All right. Well, it's been a little minute to uh, get you on here and be able to, to do this. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been, it's been a busy couple of months for sure between getting my ass kicked at Carry Optics Nationals, and then barely getting my my ass kicked at uh, or not barely. I got my ass kicked too at PCC Nationals, but just not nearly as bad. Uh, and then working and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I'm glad I was finally able to, to get this scheduled. <laughs> yeah. So if you would go ahead and take a moment and introduce yourself. I'm John McLean. I'm an alcohol. Oh wait, no, sorry, wrong meeting. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm John McLean. I am. A, I, I hate using the word pro shooter. I'm a sponsored shooter. Let's call it that, right? Um, there you go. I also yeah. work and employed by Arms Corps and Rock Island Armory as their product training manager. Um, I shoot for Team Arms Corps alongside with some great team members like Eric Fell, JJ Ricaza, Athena Lee, Casey Ryan, Jermaine Adams. So, um, obviously, other companies great support from Vortex Optics, hence the hat. Uh, you know, Terra Tactical Innovations, uh, Sound Gear, just a whole bunch of. Uh, I'll have a whole slew of them. I can we can we can put it in a, a list or something like that. But um, okay, yeah, and then just uh, you know, I I like to shoot fast. Sometimes I I hit stuff. Every bullet so far has hit a berm, so that's a uh, good okay. that's a good start. That, that that is a good start. Um, yeah. I initially saw you, I want to say, not last year's um, Nationals, the year before, when it was Carry Optics and PCC. Mm, yeah. You were, I believe you were on the PCC Super Squad, were you not? Yep. Yep. I've, okay. They, they've been sticking me on there the last couple of years. All right. So we're going to come back to that. Okay. Uh, bef before we get into that, I got to throw out all the really hard questions first. So then we can have fun. Okay. Um, so I, I ask a bunch of icebreakers to get to know the guest. They're typically the hardest questions I find for the guest to be able to answer. So we're going to dive right in. And the first one is what's your favorite movie? Oh, gosh. Okay. So my favorite movie, like in all my life and childhood has to be Star Wars A New Hope, but it's the original version of it. Before George Lucas got his greasy little paws on it again and came out with a special, special edition bullshit with all the special effects, A New Hope, the classic New Hope, is going to forever be my favorite all-time movie. Han shot first. Okay. So <laughs> I don't remember them by their... A New Hope, those types of titles. I only know them as Star Wars 4, 5, and 6 being the original three. Episode 4, yep. Episode 4. So the original Star Wars the movie. The original. My parents got me that trilogy on VHS as a uh, birthday present. And yeah, I watched the first movie and was instantaneously hooked. I ended up watching that VHS type uh, tape so much that I destroyed it and had to buy another one. Um, and then the special edition came out and I thought that was the coolest thing ever in the world. Cause I was young and dumb. And then as I got older, I, I was like, man, I wish I had those, the original VHSs again, the special edition crap is stupid. Now, can you, can you buy the original on DVD? No, I've oh, tried wow. there. I've been able to find, uh, some people that what they did was like, they had like the laser discs aver uh, versions and mm, they've mm -hmm. tried to burn them into a dvd format but like mm. i don't know what george lucas did with the original cut bring it back like stop ruining these movies bring back the originals man you, you had it right the first time the, the special effects weren't anything special but 
like back then i'm sure they were like oh my gosh there's a spaceship flying over us right but man once he did the look what i can do with cgi it's like oh, my computer could do that too and it didn't do it very well so get it out of the movies and like i said han shot first this political correctness bullcrap <laughs> he's a scoundrel uh, i can remember when that movie came out i didn't even know it was a thing and i ran into it was during the summer and I ran into a, a schoolmate. We were like fifth grade, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. I forget what, what grade we were in. And we ran into each other at a pool. And he's like, man, I've, I've seen Star Wars. I'm like, what? He's like, Star Wars. Have you heard of it? I'm like, no. He's like, I've seen it 28 times. Literally, that's what he said. 28 times. I was like, oh, my. I've never even heard of this movie. 28 times. So it was it was huge then when it came out. And it's still huge today. Oh, I was such a dork. Like I used to, I had like the collection, like that. there was like a playing card game, right? I never figured out how to play the game, but I did collect the cards. I had a whole bunch of super rare ones. Um, and yeah, I was just, a, I was an ultimate Star Wars nerd. If you, I mean, my little bookcase back over there behind my, uh, behind me, 60% uh, of the books are all Star Wars books. Cause again, I'm, I'm just that much of a, of a geek. Okay. Wow. Yeah. You're definitely into it. All right, now the, the question I find the most difficult for the guests is the next one. Okay. Um, it may not be you, though, because you have a bookcase behind you, and that would be your favorite book. All right, so yeah, this one is kind of a difficult one, um, just because there's I've had a, a, quite a few books come into my life recently that I absolutely um, love. So I'm going to have to go with... Like if, if I were going to go, I'm going to have to break this down. If I were going to go to like absolute, like just sci-fi, like outside of Star Wars, because okay, I don't think Star Wars is fair. There's too many of those books, but um, there is a book that is kind of sci-fi-y, yet it also seems to be really relevant in today's world and seems to be in a way of which way we're going is Ready Player One. The book is fantastic. The movie's good, but the book is way better. Um, that's just an absolute fantastic story. I don't know. Have you ever, have you ever heard it or read it? I have not. Okay, so there, there was a movie that came out about it, um, and it was it like the story's just so cool because, and here's here's why I think the story's so cool is because in this story they actually do reference a lot of stuff from like the seventies and eighties as far as like Ghostbusters, Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, Bill and Ted, uh, Wayne's World, like I mean all this stuff from the seventies and eighties it is associated in the story, and he like finds ways to tie them in. Um, to this world and basically it's a it's a uh, a, a world where society has kind of collapsed all the rural towns have moved into the big towns because that's the only place that has like power and the internet and all that kind of stuff left mm. um, because everyone lives in this virtual reality world called the oasis and that's like actually where the majority of the jobs are like you can you have to get a job as a uh, you know, assistant tech or whatever, and you help people with their virtual devices and stuff. And when the creator of, the, of this device dies, he leaves no errors to the company. So he creates a game within this game uh, of an Easter egg hunt. And the first person to find the three Easter eggs gets to inherit his company. So it's about this, it's this story about this wide world search of all these people trying to find it. And it's just a fantastic story. Like it's so much fun. Don't get Ready Player Two. That book is a woke piece of crap. The guy like just tried to tried to capitalize, but Ready Player One, fantastic book. Um, then the other book that was, uh, and and there's the reason why these two are so difficult is Jack Carr's The Terminal List. Man, if you want like, okay, John Wick is a great movie about revenge, but if you want another good revenge story, The Terminal List by Jack Carr is a fantastic book and a fantastic series. I've, I've got all five of his books and have. have listen to them on audible because i hate reading but um great great story about revenge and uh it's it's funny because when you're listening to the story you're like hmm that politician that he's painted a picture of i wonder who she is <laughs> like it's very, very runs parallel to to some real life people and and uh, yeah so uh another great fantastic story though so i would say if i had to pick between those two, I would say that uh, I mean Terminal List is probably the one that uh, I like to to listen to if I'm if I'm feeling a little amped up and ready to rock and roll and stuff. But okay, 
Now, did you have you seen the series, The Terminal List, or the Netflix? I think it was a series. Yeah, yeah, it was on Amazon Prime. Absolutely. Um, not only did I see it, my my uh, girlfriend's father. You know, we we started watching Seal Team on Paramount Plus, and I thought that was a great show. Um, super excited about the next season that's coming out. And when that was all done, we were like, oh gosh, like what are we gonna watch now? Jack Ryan was another one on Amazon that, that ended up being really, really good. Then they came out with Reacher and then the Terminal List. So we've got like these like seasons of, of all these different stories that we like to watch. And uh, yeah, when the Terminal List came out, her dad didn't really know much about the story. We watched like the first two episodes here at the house. And then the next day, um, he told me he had watched the rest of the season. So <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, well, that's basically what I did too. I, I binged the whole season at once too. Right. I, I'm waiting for uh, the next season of Reacher to come out, but oh well. That should be awesome. I mean, I think they're, they're, they've already been filming it, I believe. And I'm interested to see whether or not they stick with the with another storyline of another book or if they try and go with some sort of original storyline. Right. I'm, I'm wondering if it's going to be one of those series where he just moves to another place, you know, another storyline, moves to another place, another storyline type of a thing. Well, and, and that is how it is in the books. Yeah, he's absolutely a drifter. So in the books, it's okay. not like he sticks around. It's just these these moments come come in, and and he's just kind of there in the. I mean, it's kind of like the. It's unfortunate that it's like a, you know, wrong place, wrong time. Just seems to be that character's, you know, story of his life. But um, either way, that the the Killing Floor, which was what the first story was based off of. Um, was a great book and then yeah you, you get into the second book and it's a completely different storyline in a different area and it's uh it, it's it's fun to see whether or not they they stick with the books or not because you know nowadays with with these series being as they are it's not like they're confined to two hours to try and tell a, a 350 page book they've got eight episodes nine episodes ten episodes so they could essentially yeah. have you know eight nine hours to try and and, and get a lot of the bookends. Like even the terminal list, for example, there were some things that they kind of like mashed together as far as like storylines going um, to make the, so it's fairly close to the book. There's still obviously some changes because like I said, they kind of, comp they like mash like two or three scenes together to make it uh, more time constrained uh, friendly. But um, still, it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to see what they're able to do now that they got all these, these uh, series coming on where, yeah, you're not confined to only two hours to try and tell an entire story, but rather a whole season. Yeah, and I listened to the Jack Carr podcast, and, um, you know, he's talked about it. He's very happy with the way the series went with the book. So uh, I'll be excited to see more of those as well. Yeah, and, and then on top of that, he's also got a – so they, they also did an expansion not just to Jack Reacher, but also for Ben Edwards. So um, – the other character that's a CIA spook in the terminal list. They're they're also doing a spin-off series of him as a prequel, like how he becomes a CIA operator. Uh, and and like how he how he becomes a SEAL and then how he transfers to the CIA. So that'll be even cool that they they were able to to branch off another show through using another character. Very interesting. I have to keep my uh, eyes out for that one. Now I don't. You're into science fiction, so you may be into super superheroes. Maybe not. If you are, who's your favorite superhero? If not, who's your favorite historical figure? So, if we're talking about like the movie side, I love Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. I think that was the absolute perfect person to play that part, and the way he plays it is absolutely fantastic. Um, but I think my favorite superhero uh, is actually not even a superhero at all. He's just a dude with a lot of money. Well, well that's Iron Man as well. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Batman. Batman. And I, think, I just like Batman. Um, I mean, they've had some great storylines. They've got some really cool villains. But uh, I just like the idea of a little bit of vigilante justice. Because, you know, who, who of us haven't, hasn't? gotten in the mood to want to go smash someone's face into a vending machine or something, you know, just to do it. But, um, no, I think Batman is just cool. He's got all the cool gadgets and, uh, you know, having to live the, the persona of two lives, one guy that just acts like he just doesn't give a flying F when in reality, you know, he's, he's constantly trying to be that playboy. And yet at the same time, he sacrifices so much without anyone knowing. Like, I just think it's a cool storyline to, to do something like that. 
So who was your favorite Batman then? Oh, I mean, Christian Bale did a fantastic job, but I, I also think that like, see, I, I like Christian Bale because of the job that he did. And I think he got great storylines. Like the writing can be such a big thing. However, you also got to give some credit to, or a lot of credit to Michael Keaton for being the original. Like he was, here's a character. What are you going to do with it? And he was able to make it as successful of a character as he did from scratch. You know, Christian had a couple versions of Batman that he had to follow. And especially once it started getting to the point where, you know, like super cartoony Batman forever, Batman and Robin, like it's not like he had to make a huge massive jump to make Batman a good movie again. Cause it was just getting so bad and stupid at that point. It's kind of like, in indirect comparison, you know, you watch Batman and Robin and then you watch Batman Begins. Oh, of course, it, look, it seems like a fantastic movie. But if you put Christian up against Michael uh, side by side, I mean, I think you're almost in a dead even um, tie. I find it interesting that uh, and I just saw this recently. Um, Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck both in the new Flash movie as Batman. Oh uh, yes, I, I yep, I have seen that preview too. It, that's going to be interesting. It sure is. I don't know how that works, but I mean, Keaton looks like he could still play Batman. Well, you know they they've gotten so good with the CGI stuff. Like, I mean, you look at um, what was it? Rogue One was the perfect example. Going back to Star Wars, when the movie came out and the very end credit where it turns and it's Princess Leia as Princess Leia from right before A New Hope starts. Um, and even throughout that entire movie, you got Grand Moff Tarkin, who is played by a real actor, but then they did CGI to make his face look and move like the original actor that did Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, you know, and, and even some of these movies they've got that are coming out where the, uh, which I can't remember which, if it was Endgame or what, but there was the one where Robert Downey Jr. even is playing in his, um, like simulation of him having his last interaction with his parents before they're killed. And it's a young version of him. So it's like, it's, it's going to be very wild. And not to mention with all this AI stuff that's going on. I mean, there's, there's yeah. pictures that are generated that look so real and like, they have to be fact checked being like, no, this absolutely never happened. This person was never in that location with this person. But you know, it's like with, with AI getting as good as it is. I mean, it's almost kind of like, Man, are we even going to need actors anymore? Like, it literally could be like, well, I want the character to look like Ben Affleck. And here's what I want him to say. And they've got so much information about Ben Affleck as far as his voice and the way he talks and his inflections and stuff. Like, you could literally just type in a script, put in the voice of Ben Affleck. Here's the character of Ben Affleck. And the AI could probably film an entire movie without ever having to pay the actor anything you know so it's gonna yeah. be interesting to see what what uh ai does and, and what it brings absolutely i totally agree because you could literally say i want to see a combination of selma hayek and gal gadot and poof it would create it on the screen yeah absolutely. be a heck of a wonder woman you can say i want to see abraham lincoln talking to elon musk and it'll do it, yeah. you know. So yeah, <clears throat> be some interesting things. Yep, be some. You could really make some interesting movies with like um, time travel type stuff, mm -hmm. where you could literally go back and and create that person, like you were saying, AI wise, and then have a full conversation. Right. Very yeah, exactly. So, all right. So getting back to guns for a moment. <laughs> Yeah. Your favorite gun of all time and your favorite caliber of all time. They don't have to be intertwined. Oh, man. Okay. My favorite gun of all time. I don't yep. know. So Congress says, John, you can only own one gun. You're only allowed one. Make it count. I tell them to suck it. But... <laughs> <laughs> um... So if I had to pick only one gun, and a lot of people are probably going to give me crap for this because it, it's like one of those things, like how do you, you know, how, how do you tell your parents that you're gay? So you tell them that you shoot a PCC. But I will say that my <laughs> my JP GMR15, um, I like it one because it's it's a 
I mean, the nine millimeter caliber is so soft shooting. It's not super loud like it is with a two, two, three. So you get to shoot the rifle carbine platform, but you don't have the recoil or the uh, not recoil, the, um, the concussion blast from the two, two, three round. It's a nine millimeter going off. Uh, and it's just, I mean, I, my GMR 15 shoots like a dream. So, uh, I would have to say that's probably my favorite gun, uh, that I own. Okay. If it was going to be a gun that, uh, I don't own my favorite gun to ever shoot. There was a, an AK 74 crank that Jim Fuller from rifle dynamics at the time was just, which is how I met him. And now he runs, um, oh, what is it? It's Fuller, Fuller manufacturing or something like that. He's got his own, uh, rifle manufacturing stuff out of, out of Phoenix. Now, um, he had a AK 74 full auto crank. So that's the five, four, five caliber, um, AK, but it's super short and it was full auto. That thing was fucking that. Oh gosh, that thing was so much fun to shoot. So that was probably my favorite gun that I've ever actually shot. Uh, and then from there, uh, what was the other uh, favorite caliber? Oof. I think two, two, three for right now. Um, and that's just because from, from my personal experience of what I've been able to do with that round has been pretty, pretty awesome. Um, between using it for recreational shooting, competition shooting, and then even now, while I, I haven't officially dropped a deer with a 223 yet, I do know that it's possible. So uh, for me, I think it's just one of the more versatile rounds that I have that doesn't um, doesn't require a bunch of different platforms and, and you know, versions of guns and models and stuff. So I, I like it, too, as a self-defense platform. I have a buddy that hunts... Um archery in minnesota or not minnesota montana that area out there and i was like man i don't know why you don't sling that bow over your shoulder and just carry an ar until you get to your hunting area and then pull the bow out because at least that way you get one of those big grizzlies or a big angry black bear come around the corner at least you've got a way to defend yourself because you put eight or ten rounds in a bear they're gonna feel it yeah well, I, you know, one of, one of the bigger sellers for us for the Rock Island Armory is actually our uh, our 10 millimeters because of bear country. So instead of having to sling an AR, a lot of these guys actually carry a, a, a 10 millimeter, either five inch or a six inch uh, on their belt. And that's what they use to to try and drop a bear if, if they need be, um, which apparently does a pretty good job because that's like the caliber that all the bear, you know, all the people that go hunting in bear country tend to carry for a bear defensive arm but uh and i've shot 10 millimeter man it's no joke uh i think 40 stupid um that, that caliber <laughs> needs to die but the 10 millimeters got some legit um legit umph behind it oh that's funny <laughs> the 40 needs to die it needs to go away well i mean let's be honest like how many departments or, or agencies or any of them do you hear them releasing articles being like our department is very proud to announce that we're going to be transitioning to the 40 smith and wesson cal like no they're all switching away from it to either 45 or nine millimeter like the only and us using it in competition is something that i'm just like oh my god can we just let it die like if you want to shoot major fine shoot a 45 and if you want to shoot minor then shoot shoot nine but i don't know i'm I'm one of those guys that also has a, a weird opinion. Like, I think, why don't we just get rid of major or minor? Let's just call it scoring. Everyone there shoots you a go. nine. That would be easy. Everyone shoots a nine or whatever caliber you want. If you want to shoot 40, then great. Shoot 40. You'll right. be the only just person, though. Choose your cal. <laughs> yeah. There you go. If everyone was allowed to go to nine, I think everyone would go to nine. And not just because they'd be like, no, there's lighter recoil and more. But it's, it's just a better experience and less... You know, I've got I've got fucking six cases of forty down in my basement right now, plus another ten of nine millimeter. I'm just like, I wish I just had sixteen cases of nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you could always sell the forty and make some cash and buy more nine. So there's always. Well, that I, I could, except the fact that as of right now, I still need the stupid round because I've got to play the game mm. according to the rules. You know, so. I mean, not, not to say that no one's forcing me to go shoot major if I go to single stack nationals, but I'm kind of being forced to shoot major if I go to single stack nationals, right? Like, unless you're, unless yeah. I'm Nils and I can just go and shoot minor and still beat everyone. Yeah, he's an exceptional individual. Which, um, by the way, I'm, I'm not Nils. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, okay, but why not shoot 10 millimeter? 
major. Well, because, I mean, then that's just even more dumb. <laughs> like, I already hate shooting 40. Now I'm going to add more recoil to it. Uh, right, right. No. Make it no. more Plus, like a hand cannon? Yeah, exactly, right? Like, well, if that's the case, why not 45? And if that's the case, why not 50? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, all right. So, Here we go. Yeah. I'm in a Desert Eagles, technically a single stack. Right. I did hit the steel. <laughs> Look at the hole. Yeah. So. All right. So the last question I usually do in this, I try to cater it to the individual. And for everybody listening, you and I were on the same squad at Carry Optics Nationals back in September. And you were telling me a story about um, a reality TV show for MTV. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing that story now? Uh, yeah, sure. So, yeah, they, they had an open casting for the real world on MTV that I ended up going to um, just for shits and giggles. And it was um, it was an interesting experience because you, you initially went in, you had like an application that you filled out that had all your general information that you gave in. And what they would do is they would pull people in to a room. Uh, this was uh, we were in Vegas at the time and like the, the auditions were happening in the Palms Casino. So you went there and the, one of the nightclubs that was shut down during the day is where they would bring people in and have these group interviews. So they took them to like different tables and different VIP rooms and stuff. And everyone would sit down with a producer or someone from the show and do an interview. And it was funny because, um, you know, we went in with like a group of eight people or so they've got our application sitting there and they're just kind of calling out your name and saying, okay, tell us a little bit about yourself. And we're going around the room. And when all things were said and done, they told, they told everyone, hey, thank you guys so much for your time. We'll, we'll be sure to get in contact with you. Um, if, if so-and-so and John could stay, we just have a few more questions for you guys. And uh, sure enough, as soon as everyone left, they were like, all right, so you two were actually really interested in. Basically, they lied to the other six people being <laughs> like, yeah, we're, we'll give you a call. No, they had no chance. It was the uh, us, uh, me and this other guy that uh, they were interested in as far as getting a little bit more information about. Um, and... Uh, after that, they, they do a, a video interview. So they schedule a different time for you to go and they actually sit you in front of a camera. Um, they put a microphone on you and they want to see how you interact with the camera when you're when you're talking to the producers and they're doing like the interviews and, and stuff like that. And and I think that's where I lost it because unfortunately, I, uh, reality TV is not looking for uh, no, a drama-free person. They love drama. They they want to you know they want to squeeze as many people together that can possibly hate each other, um, to make good content, right? And and uh, when it came to that, like one of the questions they asked me, they're like, so so in the real world house, what kind of character would you be? Like that's literally how they asked. Like what kind of character? As if like what what persona would you bring to the house? Not who you are, but what would you? And uh, they didn't like wow. my answer of me saying like, well, dude, I I. I'm like pretty carefree, so I don't really care what people say or do. Like I'm just there to have a good time and you know enjoy the experience and stuff. And they're like, oh, okay, never mind. So I never got a call back from that. But um, still, it was it was a very interesting experience. It was one of the first times I had an experience with with television cameras and, and having to be in that kind of world. And that was where I I kind of discovered just how fake TV really is. And you know, like there, there's still things that like, it's, it's funny because when you watch TV shows and you see how they get popular and you hear, you know, people talk about them and whatnot, but you're just kind of looking at them like, can't you tell how fucking fake that is? Like, like the, the moonshiner show, right? I don't even remember what the hell it was called, but like, yeah, my, my dad was so into it when he was still alive and he used to tell me all about the storylines and stuff. I go, Hey dad, don't, don't you think if they were really doing something illegal, the camera crew would give it away? Like, the cops wouldn't have a hard time finding them. You right. know what I mean? Like, they've got a camera crew following them. And and that was where, it, like, I kind of shattered the glass for him because he was like, "Oh, like, I never thought about it that way. Why'd you got to ruin it for me? But, you know, and even, you know, there's a, a online talent agency that I signed up for years ago. And um, I still get emails from them for this day. And now they're based out of Vegas. But there was one time where I got an email for an invite to submit my application to be on an episode of Pawn Stars. And in the application, mm. it, it legit says, like, we're looking for, you know, uh, mid-30-year-old biker looking with tattoos, 
um, item that you'll walk in with is a blank and they would literally told you what item you had and then you know so it's not even like these people are bringing in their real items no the producers are giving them the item and, and telling them okay here's so here's the backstory behind this item and here's what you're going to say on camera and 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 here's how we're going to do that and it was just kind of like man just got to ruin tv wow. everyone's liars everybody lies just like house said which is another tv show but <laughs> right. well and and i heard that there were rumblings from the top shot um staff that there wasn't enough drama in the house with all the shooters so but it ended up being a good a good series anyway because everybody was all they cared about was the shooting anyway, so. Well, you see, I, I think there's a couple things that Top Shot did very, very right. I think the drama was stupid, um, you know, because in, in reality, if you if you get to know a lot of the people, yeah, there's there is no drama. Like everyone's pretty chill. There's there's a few headbutts that have happened over over the years, but, um, however, I think what Top Shot did in a very, very, very effective way and what i think attracted so much attention from the general public that we've tried to recreate um especially with three gun nation but that was a big thing before the the sandy hook shooting happened and and completely killed that show off uh from being mainstream media was the fact that they were able to make shooting exciting because you saw an instantaneous result from that shot you know if you remember every target that they shot would either break shatter or explode there was no just paper targets and then let's go downrange and see what you scored. It was like, right. I mean, unless it was bow and arrow, but there you see the arrow hit the 10 ring. So you you knew instantaneously what they'd hit. Exactly. Um, and when you go to something like USPSA Nationals, where 80% of the targets are paper, it's it's just kind of a little boring for people to watch because they don't know. Like I always, I always joke that on all my videos, all they're all alphas on my videos. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> I had three misses on that <laughs> stage, but it looked good on video. Cause you don't, you don't hear the miss, but, um, so I think that was the thing that, that was one plus. And then the other thing was that the fact that they built some of these, um, shooting contraptions that, that the general person was just like, dude, I, I want to do that. Like the one that sticks out of my head was the one where they strapped them on and then they like literally had them spinning around and then they had to shoot the targets with an MP5. Uh, I can't remember what the variation was. It was an MP5 without the without the shoulder stock. So they had to use a sling to push it out. And it was like they went around and they had like 20 targets that they had to try and shoot while they were going upside down and sideways and stuff. Um, and whoever shot the most targets won. Like. I was like, dude, I want to do that. That's freaking cool. A roller coaster with a gun? Hell yeah. Let's let's do it. You know, so yeah. I, I think that yeah, was there were they a did. lot of neat things they did like that. Like I can't remember the one where they were on the cable in a in a chair and sliding along, you know, in the air, just oh yeah, shooting targets as they were passing them, you know. It's yep. Like, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of neat fun stuff that they did on that show. I now, I'll it. say, I've, I've gotten to experience a zipline style like that. It wasn't on a chair, but uh, MGM Iron Man, when Travis Gibson used to put that, that three-gun match on up in uh, Parma, Idaho, he used to have a zipline. Uh, it was a stage, when I started shooting MGM Iron Man, it was just like a side stage. It was You can shoot it if you want, but if you don't, you don't have mm -hmm. to. Um, but yeah, you legit went up to, a I think it was a, a three- or four-story tower. They'd strap you in with your harness. They'd lock you in, and then it was like you'd, you'd take your gun, you would insert the mag and not chamber around, and you, you weren't allowed to chamber the round until after you'd launched off and you were over the, the front berm. Once you were there, you would rack the gun, and then they had like a couple plate racks and some paper targets, and you would just shoot and shoot. And they had a timer. It was The timer was on your back. So as oh, you're shooting, wow. it's picking up your shots. And then when you would get done, they would stop, and they'd have to wheel over a, a, a deck that they'd built to to get you off the harness and and go back up. I mean, it was it was fun as hell. You can actually, if you go to my YouTube channel um, and you search those MGM Iron Man uh, matches from, I mean, that was shit. We're probably talking about seven or eight years ago now. Uh, I mean, actually, probably even longer than that, nine or ten. But um, you, I've, I've actually got some hat cam footage of me on the zip line shooting, and uh, yes, yeah, it's it fun as hell. Yeah, I would definitely pay to do that. <laughs> it was, yeah, that exactly right. One. So yeah. I got to experience it. Um, it. It'd be awesome if, if that match ever came back. But, man, I know Travis worked his ass off at that match. I mean, that was one of the biggest matches ever. Um, like, it was so big. Coaching was allowed. You were, It was the ultimate test of your gear because you, you'd go from – so 
it was like a 12 stage match over three days, right? So you would try and shoot four, four stages a day, but you'd legitimately start shooting at 7 a.m. and you might be done shooting by 7 or 8 p.m. Like oh. each stage took about two and a half hours to run a squad through because there would be 52 shotgun targets. There would be 60 shots with your pistol and then another 49 shots that, like, uh, you know, 15 of them were long range with your rifle. And that was one stage. Holy cow. So, now, did that, did that ever get boring waiting to shoot that? Uh, no, because you were just resetting the entire time. And, and the, the other reason why that match was so fun was because um, it wasn't necessarily a team match, but coaching was allowed. So you're not even just, like, sitting back watching this guy shoot this entire time. Like... You would, you'd be, you'd be running behind him being like three targets to the left and dun, 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 okay, two targets to the right. Dun, dun, okay. Load four. And you would be giving them their instructions that, that oh, uh, wow. the game plan that you would come up with. And I mean, if your gun broke, you'd run, grab any gun off the rack, come running <laughs> back up and, and they can, <laughs> they can continue on with the match. Like it was, I mean, I, there was a stage where I was with, um, I was shooting with my, my sponsor, uh, OC indoor shooting range, Scott Stevenson and his shotgun front sight fell off as we're getting to the end of the stage and the the last part of the stage was a um, mgm spinner target that you had to shoot slugs at offhand while you were standing on a two by four um and i want to say it was at 50 yards so you're having to shoot a 50 yard slug offhand shot while standing on a two by four and he's got no front sight so he screams to me my front sight's gone so i sprint 150 yards back up to the start of the stage pull my shotgun out of the bag, sprint 150 back to him. And as I'm getting there, he's, he's finished shooting the last of the bird shots. And I just take the shotgun out of his hand. I give him mine. He pulls slugs out, loads it up, and then finishes the stage using my shotgun. Um, you know, that was the kind of match that it was. So it was like, if you were bored, then you weren't doing it right. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound like you have time to get bored. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people's cow. pistols would go down and it would just be like holster it and then some person would run up beside them and pull their pistol out show that it was clear give it in their hands here's mags for it and i mean it was ugh, that that match was so much fun but it was you got your ass kicked and then the other thing about that match was there were there was two ways to get into it one was that you had a sponsored slot and two was that you worked one shot one so not it wasn't even just mm. like you just showed up shot the match and left you would have to pretty much go and work the first match, shoot the second, or shoot the first match and work the second. So you got your ass kicked for six days. Um, wow. The first time I went and shot that match, I actually got so dehydrated on the second day of ROing. Um, I went one hour without drinking water. I had a hydration pack on me, and I didn't fill it back up. I went one hour without water, and that night I got such bad um, dehydration that Craig Altson who's a, a firefighter uh, out in uh, Utah at the time, had to give me an IV line. I was, I was nauseous, vomiting, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sitting in camp because I, I also, you camp out on the range if you choose to do so. Um, so I'm sitting in camp with an IV line hanging off my buddy's RV, just sitting there being absolutely miserable while the match is still going on around me. But uh, wow. yeah, that was, I mean, there, that was one of the first matches I went to where you, you ran from bay to bay to bay. So, like, one bay was specifically for shotgun, one bay was for rifle, and one bay was for pistols. So, like, not only is it just a big match, you're, you know, some of these stages, you are ending up, you end up moving five or 600 yards throughout the process of completing the one stage. So, it was, it was crazy. I would suggest anyone go to YouTube, search up MGM Iron Man, and just watch. It's, it's madness. It seems like you would uh, sleep well that night, for sure. Uh, yes and no. Because I mean, it was it was crazy up up there in Parma, Idaho. You know, the sun doesn't go down until like nine thirty, so you'd be laying in your tent and there's still sunlight coming in. You're just like, oh my god, I just want to go to sleep, but it's not dark. <laughs> and, and then um, you know, sun's coming up early as hell, and and yeah, and then that didn't even include. So Parma, the other thing they were notorious for was called the Parma powder. The the dust that was there was finer than moon dust. So you get done shooting shooting that day, you had to go back to camp and tear your guns completely apart and clean them because if you didn't, halfway through the next day, your guns would be choked up from from all the fine powder and dust that was stuck inside them from the day before. So I assume you've shot frostproof. Oh yeah, because frostproof did that to all of my. The first time I shot there was uh, the Florida Open. 
Mm-hmm. And I learned there that if you shoot frostproof, you better have a way to clean your magazines. Um, yeah. So would you say the sand or the the fine dust is worse than frostproof or equal or? Oh, worse. Way worse. Oh, wow. Way okay. worse. Like imagine, imagine a pile of flour, like cooking flour. Now drop your magazine in it. That's, that's okay. what it was like shooting in Parma. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That dust got like you, you'd go home and find dust six months later from Idaho still in your bags. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yep. Now, when did you first shoot a gun? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I was very, very young the first time I ever shot a gun. That was completely and utterly unintentional. My dad was cleaning his <laughs> shotgun, and it was my job to pull the trigger. And I pulled the trigger with a round in the chamber and blows, blasted a bird shot through uh, our wall in our house. Um, oh like I said, I, I, don't, I don't remember it. Um, I was that young. After that... Uh, I didn't, I didn't actually shoot a gun until I turned 18. Um, and my buddy's dad, uh, Steve Warner, my, my buddy was named Eric Warner. And I, I went to elementary school. I went to high school with him. Um, used to hang out at his house all the time. He'd hang out at my house all the time. And then, and then when I turned 18 and I could legally sign my own waivers and stuff, um, his dad offered to take me out to a range and, and shoot. So he took me out. Um, first gun I ever shot was a Colt 45, 1911. And then, um, I mean, I had, I had such a good time with that, that, uh, yeah, I saved up. I bought a Ruger 1022. I was in an anti-gun house. So I, I bought the rifle and then I hid it under my bed for two years before finally coming out of the closet with my, to my parents that I was a gun owner, um, <laughs> which they were actually like to them. They're like, wait, you've, you've had a gun for the last two years. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, well, we, we didn't know. It's like, yeah, that was the point. That's why I kept it hidden, you know, but, uh, right. Um, after, after that, I turned 21, bought my first handgun, which was a Glock 22. I had, I had intentions of maybe trying out for the law enforcement side. And of course, you know, 40 at the time was the big, awesome caliber that it was and little <laughs> that I know I was so dumb back then. Um, <clears throat> no, but also because, uh, you know, um, his dad had, had talked about shooting competition and, uh, 40 was the way to go if you wanted to try limited because of the scoring, you know, uh, benefit that you got scoring factor yeah so i tried with a glock 22 and then like i think i shot two matches with that glock 22 and then i went and sold it and bought a glock 35 because i was just like so hooked on competition shooting and i've been broke ever since (laughs) yeah it seems to be what happens holy cow it's crazy yeah uh competition shooting is not the best roi for someone so uh you know if you got money to burn great welcome to the game we're happy to have you if uh, right. if you're if you're barely living off ramen and you want to get into competition shooting, I would highly suggest you go do something else. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I would I would um, do airsoft competition. I think. Uh, have you seen? I mean, I don't know about that. Some of those airsoft guns are ridiculous. I mean, some of those airsoft guns cost as much as real guns do. Yeah, some of them do. Jesus. But I feel like you could get away with a you know a cheaper one, like a hundred and fifty dollar one. And be okay for a little bit. At least you could have fun. Yeah. Well, you know, I would suggest too, uh, if I could go back, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm very, very happy and thrilled to be where I am and doing what I do. Uh, however, with, with my recent move to Missouri a few years ago and me getting into bow hunting, um, man, shooting bows, even just at a, at a competition level as well, the 3D archery and Vegas 3 spot and stuff like that. I mean, that's also a great way to go. Not to mention, like, I was so confused the first time I went to go shoot a competition with my bow because I was like, wait, I like, I didn't have to wear ear pro at all. I didn't even have to wear eye pro. I showed up with five arrows and I'm leaving with five arrows. Like, <laughs> what, what, I, normally my, you know, you show up with a thousand rounds and you leave with a hundred. <laughs> this one, like I showed up with five arrows, I'm leaving with five arrows, I can still hear. Um, you know, it was, it was different. So, so uh, I think shooting bows can even be uh, a great way to to get into a, a form of competition shooting without like the initial cost for the bow and stuff, it can be expensive. But once you got it set up, it's like, okay, cool. Run that bow for the next three years. And that, that investment's going to pay off itself. Right. And I was, I'm a member of an Isaac Walton here and they have an archery course 
there's like 40 different lanes. They have mountain lions, bear, pig, turkey, raccoon on the side of a barrel. Then they have regular targets and, you know, everything from seven feet to 70 yards. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's crazy how how diverse it is and how much you could do with that. So it's crazy too when you when you look at a lot of the gear that they have that's out there for archery like um the fact that they're sighting systems so it's not it's not just like you know people think where it's just guessing like oh i'm gonna put the tip of the arrow you know three inches above the target and let go is no these they've got a peep sight in the back you've got a scope in the front the scope has pins that are adjusted to the distances yeah um i mean even to the point that they've got some of these um sites like it, it does like fractions of inch movements so you could be shooting and be like oh man i'm you know i'm I'm a half inch low i gotta go four clicks up like it's almost like a scope turn like oh i gotta go i gotta come up a half m away you know it's like absolutely crazy and and all that stuff is based on you know how fast or or how much weight is your bow flinging um how much does your arrow weigh you know, uh, what broadhead you're running, the kind of veins that you're running, what kind of twist rate you want to have on the arrow as far as it flying through the air and twisting with the rim resistance. And, you know, all that stuff comes into to play when you're shooting a bow. And then, of course, you also have the external effects. Now, with guns and three gun, you know, you're shooting three, 400 yards and there's wind. You got to account for that. But with it, with bows right. and arrows, 30 yard shot, you still got to account for gusts of winds and stuff like that. So. It's a it's a very interesting sport that I didn't realize was as big as it was, um, and I really didn't realize how much bigger the payouts were <laughs> compared to competition shooting. Uh, oh. But yeah, I mean, there's some of these guys actually make a living off of doing that. Um, actually, I, I so I've started my own podcast called Open Action, and I had my buddy Paul Penrod who shoots for PSE Archery, and um, we were, we we did a podcast talking about how he got into competitive archery shooting and how it's it's pretty much like a full time thing for him now. Um, that he does and it's just like man it's crazy he'll he'll go to a he'll go to a competition not even like a, a nationals but like maybe a state level or what and and win two to five grand you know for taking oh, third wow. second first whatever so yeah there's just more money in it than than there is competitive competitive shooting but unfortunately i chose to be a competitive shooter not a competitive archer so <laughs> Well, and so with that, I mean, what are your thoughts on competitions like Prairie Fire Rank? Uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely all for it. Um, I think if they can find a way to, to bring a, a cash payout, then it, it makes it a little bit more beneficial for those of us that have put in way more time, energy, money, sweat, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, um, to, to reach that elite level. But I also like the fact that like you know, uh, Prairie Fire is kind of set up where the competitive shooter might have an advantage, but some people that are just really good shooters that, you know, don't shoot competitively very often also have a pretty good advantage. I know for a fact that, you know, Julie Golub, her husband, I think was in the finals. Um, he's not necessarily a competitive shooter. He's a law enforcement officer. His job is to carry a gun. It's not to shoot the guns necessarily. And yet he was able to go to the finals and qualify good enough. So I think it's kind of cool to be able to see new faces coming in that that are able to do well um i think the one downside that it comes with with getting money involved though is um yeah that's that's where you start running into people that maybe get a little too serious or a little too gamey they start maybe trying to bend the rules or even break some and just see if they can get caught with it you know it's just I think people's true true characters can come out sometimes when when you start throwing money in a match to see who who's willing to mm. to do what to for a payday, you know. Um, right. I so, hadn't considered that. Yeah, it's it brings a it brings a new level of of or it brings a new dynamic to the sport when you throw money into the pot and uh and and have that as a payout because, you know, everyone wants to win the cash, don't get me wrong, for sure. But right. Sometimes it's a matter of like, well, what are they willing to do to try and win that cash is, is where you can get into some questionable moral areas. Yeah. And, and I guess that would depend on the payout because like Prairie Fire rank, that was significant. 50,000, um, you know, Buckeye blast is much more what I would consider reasonable or what you might expect at like $1,500 for carry optics. Mm. Okay. That's one of those things like, all right, you're just going to shoot your best at a USPSA match and hope that, 
you know, you win the carry optics division and you get to walk away with more money than you came to the the match with. But Prairie Fire Rank, though, you know, they're, their initial was $100,000 total. They want to make their next one a million dollars total. That's where I think you start seeing those individuals you're talking about because that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And now, I, and I also think there's something to be said, you know, there's there's a lot to be said about the rules and the setups for a, a, type, a match of that type. Um, you know, there's there's so much gray area. That's why, like, the USPSA rulebook is just constantly growing with amendment after amendment because someone always comes around and finds some new way to game a rule that no one else thought of. And now we got to do an amendment, you know, for the next year and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's almost like if, if you can make it, less complicated then the rule book can become less complicated which means that it's a little bit more cut and dry there's less gray area and there's more black and white to make it a, a fair playing ground now i also right. wish that you know everyone would just have their fucking moral compasses checked every time or every now and then and just decide you know there's there's been times i've gone to matches where like don't get me wrong i, I love the support i love when my friends want to help me out and stuff like that but there's some matches where i've gone and like they're like hey mclean come, come here you, you might want to have this carded and I'm looking at the target, and I go, well, what, that single bullet hole? Why would I have them cart it? And I go, oh, no, no, it looks a little oblong. I'm like, dude, I'll tell you right now, I have no fucking clue where that second bullet went because I saw the sight picture, and I never saw the second sight picture. So, no, I'm not going to have that carded. Like, that's a miss. I'll, I'm going to own up to it. You know, it's like, that's just what I've done. And I've actually seen other shooters have experiences like that, too, where they're just like, what are we doing? Like, why are we wasting time? No, stop. It's a miss. I'm, I'm going to take my fucking miss and move on. Let's go. i got a match. You know, we got people want to run through and stuff. So um, I, I've always been that kind of person. Uh, I remember there was one time at single stack nationals when it was in Quincy, Illinois. Uh, someone did that. They called me over to look at a target. So I'm looking at it. The RO comes over. He, he kind of looks at the target, looks at me, just pulls the card out. And I go, I, I'm, it's a miss, man. I'm just here to make sure that, you know, calls right. So he, he cards it for me anyway. And he goes, I, he's like, I got to call alpha Mike. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And afterwards, we were done. When the squad left, he pulled me to the side. He goes, I, I, I want to say thank you for the way you handled that call because, you know, there's so many other people that will sit here and argue with me about, you know, I'm, I'm like, dude, it's a hardcover target at 28 yards. If I shoot perfect doubles at that mm. distance, then I should be winning this match. But uh, I can tell you right <laughs> now, I don't do that. So, you know, um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it sucks that sometimes people will, will, you know, and I'll say this too, you know, sometimes, sometimes you get blessed, sometimes you don't. Some calls are going to go your way. Just know that some calls are also going to go against you. Just let it be and move on. Statistically speaking, you're, you're going to break even. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now you, you didn't get a, you got into shooting, you know, as an adult, um, so how did you go from just getting into competition as an adult and shooting all different types of competition to working in that environment as well? Uh, so, I mean, I, I was, you know, when I first started getting into competition shooting, I was um, working as a lifeguard. Uh, at the pools down there in Vegas, I eventually moved to the EMS side, uh, becoming a, a EMT advanced uh, for AMR Las Vegas. And at that point was where I was starting to to get more serious about competitive shooting. Um, I started picking up a few sponsors here and there. Uh, I actually started with Three Gun was where like I started USPSA, but as far as when I decided to get serious about it was was Three Gun is where I really started to to practice and train my my butt off for and. <clears throat> I just started to, to make some relationships with companies. Rifle Dynamics was one of the first companies to ever pick me up. Um, and, and they actually built me, like we built a, a, an AK and 223, which was such a, such a commie thing to do to a commie rifle was to build it in 223, right? Um, so that's kind of how I got into the, the more serious side of competition shooting. Hence, then that's where the pants kind of start getting introduced because I was taking it more okay. seriously. I was taking it more seriously, but I, I needed to remind myself that it's still about having fun. And if you're not having fun, then you're just a shithead to be around and no one wants to be around you. So just pack up and go home if you're ever in that kind of mindset for me personally. Um, so yeah, the pants, everyone thinks that the pants were because I'm a tension whore. That's, that's a side effect. 
<laughs> but the pants were really a reminder for me that I'm supposed to be having fun. And if I'm not having fun um, and people aren't having fun around me, then I should just pack up my bag and go home because everyone's going to lose at that point. And, and it was a great way to, <clears throat> to get my mind off of whether or not I had a great stage or a shit stage, because when you go to the next bay, the ROs instantaneously got to have some sort of smart ass comment about my pants. So whether or not I had a great stage and I was feeling excited about it, now we're onto my pants and I'm joking with the RO about that. So I'm not thinking about how awesome I was over there. Now I can recenter myself and get ready for this stage. If I had a shit stage, I get to the stage, we'd start talking about my pants. And now my focus is off of the mistake I made. It's now we're reset and talking about other pants. So, you know, a lot of people there think, like go. I said, they, they think the pants were just a, a, a marketing ploy for me as a shooter or something like that had nothing to do. I didn't care about being sponsored. Um, well, I'll say this: that ammo sponsorship did did end up being very nice for me, uh, but it wasn't for that. It was it was a way for me to remind myself to just be out there and have fun, right? So I started shooting um, a little bit more competitively, and then and still having to pay for a lot of my stuff. And then uh, I ended up having to be in the right place at the right time and meet the right people. And I was able to schedule a meeting at Arms Corps. Uh, which was located in Pahrump, Nevada. So it was like 45-minute drive outside of Vegas for me. Hmm. I drove up there. We scheduled a meeting. We chatted. Um, it was funny. The question they asked was, can you beat J.J. Ricasa? And I said, God, no. That was only a C-class <laughs> shooter at the time. So I was like, oh, no, I can't beat J.J. Ricasa. But it's not because I don't have the skills. It's because I'm not allowed. I can't train the way I really want to train to become the shooter that I want to become. So they kind of agreed to do like almost like a – development deal with me where it was like all right well let's let's see what you do when you're given some support so it started off with one case of 223 and one case of nine millimeter a month is what they were um, mm. offering me and basically that uh I, I would send them weekly updates from the local match results i would send them the videos of me training and practicing and and doing what i was doing and stuff on a regular basis so they knew that like i wasn't just taking this ammo and blowing it like it's going towards something. And after about six months of that uh, was when uh, Martin Twasson, the CEO, was talking to Lisa, who's his sister and the, and the marketing director. Um, he was watching the videos. He was seeing the results. And he was like, this, this guy looks like he knows how to shoot a pistol. Like he's watching three gun videos. So he said, let's just sponsor him year round, but see if he'll shoot Rock Islands. Because at the time I was shooting whatever gun I had. So I had a Glock 35 and I eventually bought like this Millennium Custom used gun. You know, it was like a STI Infinity hybrid that was built by Millennium Customs. And at that point was when he asked me if I'd be willing to shoot Rock on the Armory exclusively. Which I was like, I, I don't care. Like, yeah, as long as it goes bang. Like, and, and my mindset too was kind of like... Uh, Rock Island, when I, when I did the search for Rock Island online, there wasn't a lot of positive... So a lot of people I think would, would take that and be like, Oh no, no, I'm, I want to step away. I don't want that to be what I'm a part of. Um, I looked at it as like, okay, so there's not a lot of positive about this company, but I can maybe be one of the reasons why we get it turned around with, with me running the product and me testing it and really testing its limits and stuff. Then let's see if we can make the product better. So um, that was kind of why I decided to, to shoot rock Island armories exclusively was to, to try and get in on, on a, on a point where the platform wasn't as popular and proven as it was versus where we are now. Like a lot of people have, um, I think have a lot more faith in the rock on the army product because of what they've been able to see me do with mine. Um, you know, and, and that's the other thing too. Like uh, I have my, my 40 single stack was the first custom gun they ever built for me. And the only reason they built it is because, we have a 40 single stack, but it's a bull barrel, which makes it illegal in USPSA. Mm. So I had to have them build me a bushing barrel 40. And I know why people say, well, why didn't you just shoot a 45? Because the other side to my argument um, at this point, you know, I, I had this Millennium Custom used 19, or 2011 that I had paid $2,200 for, and it was used. Um, and I wasn't winning nationals. So at that point, I realized that you can't buy your way to a title. You really have to do the work. It's not the arrow, it's the Indian. So buy all the top gear, top high-end gear that you want. But if you don't go out there and do the work and work on the skill set, then you're still always going to end up being unhappy with your results. So with that being said, when I picked up Rock Island and I started shooting with them exclusively, the other thing that I decided to do was um, 
to not request custom loads, but rather shoot factory. I'm, I'm trying to prove that you don't need a $2,000 pistol and custom loaded ammunition to be competitive. So now I'm shooting an $800 Rock Island Armory with maybe two $300 worth of upgrades done to it. And I'm shooting ammo that I've had to before go to Sportsman's Warehouse at the event and be like, I need 300 rounds of 40 Smith & Wesson. And it's the exact same ammo that I would have shot before because I only shoot factory stuff. So my point was to prove you can be competitive with factory ammunition and a solid $800 gun with some work done to it. You don't have to go and break the bank and get a divorce over, you know, how much you paid for a firearm uh, to be competitive. Now, they just came out with their 5.0 um, All-American made. Did you... Did you have any part in any of that by chance? Uh, I had I had to. Uh, well, I got to, not had to. I got to shoot the gun throughout its development, um, and I actually shot the original version of it from Freddie Craig like ten or eleven years ago. He he used to come shoot matches in Vegas, and one night at a Steel Challenge match, after everyone had left, he was like, "Hey man, I gotta I gotta show you something," and he. We walked up to the firing line. He pulled the gun out and let me try it. So I got to try the original gun that it was the that 5.0 was based off of. And then, as we were developing it, I would get a chance to to take it out, shoot it, and kind of have a little bit of say into it. So um, I will say that the majority of that gun's success and popularity, though, and the way it shoots, is mostly done by the engineers. Like I'm, I might have had. A, a say or two like an opinion or two about it but Some i definitely feedback, wasn't like oh right? well let's let's change the angle of this like nope i'm i'm too dumb for that that's i leave that shit for engineers um you know they get paid what they get paid to do what they do and i ain't getting paid to do what they do so i, I you know i don't know anything about it but um it was fun to watch that gun become what it has become and and i'm very interested to see how it does in the competitive world when i'm able to to get my hands on one um, to take out. Cause I actually think with the way that the barrel locks up with the slide and the way, you know, the way it's just designed, I, I don't know if it'll be a good production gun. Well, actually it's not even production legal. So I don't know if it'll be a good limited optics gun or a limited gun, but I think, I think it would be a hell of a Bianchi gun. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm, like I would be very interested to see how it does at a Bianchi match with, with where accuracy is the is the king. Let's see. Yeah, armscore.com. And then <laughs> yeah, I, it pop, it's popping up on the screen. I can see it. Yeah. Yeah, I had to um I had changed something earlier so it was cropped into where all you could see was basically the trigger. Oh. Um so I I actually I at where we ran into each other at Chacho um I went over and played with it, and I thought it was really slick. And I came back, and I'm like, man, that, that gun, it was nice. It felt good, but really slippery. And then it dawned on me. I was like, you know, I should have checked. I wonder if there was a little bit of oil or something on there, because when I was trying to rack the slide, it was like my hand was just sliding down the slide. I'm like, that's really weird. So I have a feeling somebody got something on the slide when i went to because i mean like everybody was playing with it so yeah those those guns were well used that day um which means that they were probably constantly being kind of brushed out and oiled up and stuff but uh, i mean i'll mm -hmm. say this too though like you know the it was one of the things i think that was one of the biggest down or not a downfall but one of the cons to like the shadow two was how how small the slide is it, it doesn't give you a lot to grab onto. And like, if you've got a, a case stuck in the chamber and you've got to do like a punch to try and get it out, like that right. slide doesn't give you a lot to grab onto. And the 5.0 is kind of the same, but you take the good with the bad. What's the benefits of having a slide that is so low profile and, and, you know, weight reduced is the fact that it's, it's not a lot of reciprocating mass. So you don't get a big recoil impulse to the rear um there's not a lot of mass reciprocating back and forth it's not super snappy or anything like that so you know you gotta take take it what it is so uh, but i do think also it's just one of those things like once you get used to it you're used to it but when you're so used to like grabbing like a sig 229 or something like that like and then you pick this thing up it's be the, it'd be the difference between you know go play go play catch with a softball for 20 minutes and then pick up a baseball and you're like oh my god it feels like a marble 
you know, until right. it feels normal. So right. And I'm I'm doing the opposite. I'm going from a canic rival to a rival S. So I'm going from the baseball to the softball. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> oh goodness. All right, let me. But yeah, a nice gun though. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.